0: I think it's really important to look at everyone's human first. So you're trying to make sure the human experience in every company is better for everyone first.
1: Do you want to make work better for yourself and those around you? Well, this is the podcast for you. People at Work is a series of conversations with individuals who are leading change in organizations to create extraordinary workplaces and improve the experience that people have at work. Hi, I'm Bev. I'm the Director of Brand, Customer, and Employee Experience at Jossel, and I'm delighted to be hosting the podcast today. In this episode, I'm going to be chatting with Jeff Smith, the CEO and co-founder of Supporting Lines Institute, and most recently, CEO of Mobify. Jeff and I are going to talk about his career journey from one that was very traditional and rooted in his uh, financial focus and transitioned into more of a people focus as he discovered his love of coaching and helping people achieve the goals that they set for themselves. Jeff is a certified yoga instructor and has a real passion for bringing mindfulness and presence into the corporate world. I really hope that you'll enjoy the conversation. There's a lot to learn from Jeff and I'm really excited to hear your feedback. Okay. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for being here with me today on the podcast. My pleasure. I'm really excited to dig into some pretty interesting and deep topics, but we won't have a lot of time to go into a lot of detail. But um, you know i've i 've just really been admiring from afar, and uh, you know i 've known you and your work for a while, but uh, you know we 've started having a few conversations about some shared passions that we 've got about making people better in workplaces mm-hmm. and uh, by extension, uh, if people are happier at work they 're happier in their lives generally, and that really impacts communities and society as a whole i believe so I'm really excited to chat with you about the role that you're playing in helping people be better at work, both in your role at Mobify as well as in this exciting new venture that you've got with Supporting Lines, which I feel is really going to help people uh, change how they show up at work, um, you know, as as full people. So perhaps we can kick off with just a bit of a primer on your career progression and How you've evolved to be a leader who shows up with, you know, not only this sort of professional approach and your expertise in terms of your functional side of your career, but also overlaying this really beautiful uh, approach to mindfulness and how that's helped you show up as a leader in whichever environment you've found yourself in.
0: It's amazing. Yeah, there's there, there's so much in there. Like, So thank you for the wonderful way of expressing a lot of that. I appreciate the intro and the opportunity. So thanks for having me. Um, I almost think the way to do the intro is almost backwards. Like um, how I got here right now is, I think, interesting. It, it kind of comes out of a stat that I read a couple of years ago. So the, the statistic was that 85% of the world's population, the working population, is disengaged in the work. And so let's just think about that. So if you think about when you've been the most engaged in your career and how you showed up and then you think about when you were the least engaged, think about the difference in the way people show up. Mm-hmm. And so 85% of the world is more like the second one. So that means that if you go back to your disengagement, you know, there's people that are making your clothing, your food, your cars, like everything, teaching your kids in school, they're in hospitals. Like it's, it, this is a societal issue. So it's not really something that like organizations need to figure out. So that's probably how, that's the best way of've expressed how I got here. Yeah. The step in between that was, um, I mean, I'll go back to the beginning now. I mean, my background, I'm a CPA. I ran sales for a billion dollar helicopter company, which is kind of a, you know, not a lot of people get to say <laughs> that one. Um, so I've had some really good operational uh, pedigree That led to me being the COO and Chief Financial, Chief Financial Officer at Mobify, which is a tech company here in Vancouver. Um, and so what's interesting is we a lot of times people introduce themselves with their work experience. But I think the life experience that threaded through that for me was probably more impactful. So I worked with a lot of great leaders. I had some situations that were challenging. Mm-hmm. And you learn from those too. I think the most challenging was I was in one situation where it was incredibly difficult for me uh, personally, and just the fit in the organization wasn't the right one for me, so I ended up leaving after a short period of time. And so, I was really frustrated because uh, two months before I left, I was super engaged, super motivated, and then just through a whole ser- you know series of events led to a situation where I was probably the least engaged. Well, I was; I was the least engaged I'd ever been. So, in a two-month span, I went from being like the most engaged to the least engaged. Mm-hmm. And so, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out like what happened here because really it was a fit issue. Like, you know. At the end of the day, when we look at companies and we look at what culture we're going to be in, we have to find opportunities for us to thrive. And what I really came up with was there's kind of two things that stood out. One was if, I am, I, if I'm in an environment where I'm achieving big goals and I feel like the work has meaning, that's something for me. The other one is if, if I'm growing personally. So if I think about even if I go back to my CPA days with Ernst & Young where I was working you know 80, 90, sometimes even 100 hours a week, I mean crazy workload. There were times where we were on a mission to get something done, and so you just, the time would go by and you wouldn't even notice it. So you can't sustain that forever. Mm -hmm. But it was just, you could see that clearly part of it was, you know, liking your work is kind of table stakes, but the big thing for me that transcended it was we're performing, and the other piece was I'm growing. And so then that led me to, when I was at Mobify, and we were trying to tackle, like, how do we get both? How do we get performance and engagement? it really became an exercise to try to unpack that and look Mm -hmm. at, okay, what are the things that I've experienced personally? Then let's do some research. Let's really get into what engagement means. And if I asked you, you'd probably, you know, you'd have something, I'd have a definition. There's probably a hundred other definitions online. And so, what we find is that we're trying to solve a problem with engagement that means something a little bit different to everybody. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we focus on, you know, how is it that, you know, how, how do we move this thing forward and we get caught up in the definitions? But the reality is, it's engaging humans is just as messy as it sounds. So you're trying to, it, there are different elements. So really it was, how do we get all of those different elements? How do we embrace all of them? And not really try to be super prescriptive, mm-hmm. um, meet people where they are. So if you have an organization that's got really good growth culture, but they're not performing, then that's one thing. If you've got someone else that they're getting things done, but there's like a trail of wreckage behind them. That's, you know, there's another thing. So really it's trying to develop all the different things that you need to be able to be in an organization and make it both performant, and also have high engagement. And so it was really something that, um, I started that work at the end of my time when I was at CHC Helicopters. And then as I got into Mobify, it really became front and center. Like how do we get both of those things? And so the supporting lines model really kind of came through that. So it was taking all of these things from my experience um, and probably more importantly, like editing out some of the things that like didn't work. Like (laughs) so they're on the cutting room floor, so people get the benefit of that too. But it just, you know, our engagement there went from, you know, at at times it was, you know, it could be as low as mid-50s and we were up and got it up into the 80s. Um, You know, we went from hitting a minority or kind of like, you know, a reasonable percent of our goals to hitting 90% of our goals, 100% of our goals. And so the good thing was then it was, okay, how can we teach it? So the good thing then was I could see that I could teach it to others and have other people lead it. And that was when I was really like, okay, there's actually something here. Like I've got a framework that I need Mm -hmm. to take out because... If it's sixty people, eighty people, hundred people, we can engage them. That's great. But my thing is, we got to do something about the eighty-five percent. So for me, it became a much bigger thing. And so the way I measure myself in five years, and we can check back, is that you know millions of people will be engaged in the work because of supporting lines. So I'm on a, you know, it's a it's a bit more of a mission. It's a, it's a passion, but also I think it's needed, and there is a business around it too. So, um, you know, it's it's been it's been a wonderful journey so far. I've been working in and around this model for a year, year and a half, and it's been, you know, I've been doing it full-time since January, um, so just a couple of months, but last week I certified eight coaches, and that was a little bit of an out-of-body experience, because now you're taking your theory, and your framework, you're training other people, you're drilling on exercises, and, and, well, thankfully, the people really enjoyed the training, so that was good, Yeah. but it was just, it's just really neat to see something like that kind of come off the page, um, and then woven through all of that, you know, coming back to the mindfulness part of the question, I think I did, I started doing yoga in, like, I was thinking I was about 36, 37. I started doing yoga because um, after being a hunched over a computer for, you know, a couple of decades, I started to have, you know, basic, uh, I went to my physio guy, I was like, I'm having a shoulder problem, he's like, and I asked him what it was, and he said, you're getting old. And I was like, okay, that's great. So, oldness led me to yoga, but I think when I started doing it, the first yoga class I did, uh, fun fact, was a P90X video. So, you know that workout series? Yeah, so I, that was my first that was my first one. So I did that. I was like, okay, cool. That seemed like that felt kind of good. Um, but then I, I, after my, you know, you, you fast forward a couple of years, I started doing stuff um, in classes. Then I started, I traveled a lot. So I take my mat. My mat's been to about 14 different countries. Um, I still have it. I've pretty much worn a hole through the Lululemon <laughs> mat that I have. Um, and then when I got back, after I had the, the sort of the, the real challenging sort of career incident, then I, I really became focused on like, I need more community around this. And that was really when things transformed there's a, a local studio here i go to called the dharma temple and they really like so i, I was getting i think the physicality of yoga before but what they brought in was more of the spiritual side more of the mindfulness meditation um as part of dealing with uh, this you know this career episode for me i also went and got some counsel and so in doing that the person asked me um you know do you do you know what mindfulness is i'm like i think i've heard of it, but. I don't think I do that. <laughs> and so, and she was like, "Well, just try it." So I went and tried it. It was really helpful in a tough like period of time. But then I was like, "Actually, this is really useful all the time." And so I told my yoga teacher that like this mindfulness meditation was really starting to work. And then his question was, "What do you think the yoga is for?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" And so then it just all kind of came together, and it, it became much more of a fundamental practice. And yeah, it, it, at Mobify, then I went in there, and I was I, I think. More and more, this was infusing the way I showed up. So, you're showing up more in service of others, less about like let's get stuff done. Like you said, you can still be productive and still yeah. be performant, but you're also just more human, I think. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, through just a whole, you know, confluence of events, we had um, we just we had yoga at Mobify, and then at our retreat, someone asked me if I would teach yoga. So. I, th- I said yes. I think I was questioning that at about three o'clock in the morning when we were around a campfire, but uh, we got up the next morning. We had like, you know, a dozen people did yoga, some people for the first time. And so, um, you know, then they asked me if I could teach a regular class. And so, yeah, then I started teaching every week. And then as things went, uh, next thing, I'm a yoga teacher. And I, the whole time I was kind of coordinating this with my teacher to say, like, can I do this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, go for it. And I'm like, so I, I certified last year. So now I'm actually a certified yoga teacher as well. And that did change things like having confidence and like assisting people and all that and so just to bring it all together in my pitch now for supporting lines one of the things that i use as an analogy is you know if you're a coach if you're a leader what you're trying to do it's almost like when you assist someone in uh in yoga so do you practice yoga ever sometimes yeah sometimes so there's one there's there's a pose called a seated twist or basically one leg is out in front of you um the other leg is kind of bent in and then you're twisting and so when a teacher comes in and they help you twist, they first brace you, they support you, and then they gently help you twist. And that's just a wonderful analogy for what a coach does and what a good leader or mentor does because you are, you're there for the person, so you've got them supported. You're trying to get them to open up and twist or maybe experience something deeper or try something new in a way that they might not on their own mm-hmm. or probably wouldn't. And what you're doing in a way where hopefully the next time they do it, they would now have the feeling of what something a little bit, you know, a little bit of a deeper stretch feels like. And so that's really what I'm trying to do with Sporting Lines. I'm trying to get leaders to try new things, like to use a coach approach in one-on-one. Well, that takes some vulnerability. It can be a little terrifying for some people. So how do we give people some tools so they can try it with tools and then eventually put the tools away once they get the hang of it and they got it themselves. So to me, that, that it all comes full circle to me, like in terms of mindfulness yoga, to me it spreads through everything for me, so, and, and the best way to express it would be like, yeah, when a teacher helps you in a class, they are, they're helping you do something deeper, they're helping you stretch further than you would in your own but you're always safe, it's always in control, it's just a great analogy. Oh,
1: I love that, and I, I think I like the sort of, the analogy around, you know, the how you show up in your work life, mm-hmm. um, should be consistent with how you show up in every other part of your life, because mm-hmm. you're one body, and how you, you know, <laughs> move and, and change and speak, and do, do whatever you do with your body, you're always there, so um, I feel that, Something that we have a real problem with, um, and this may be part of the engagement problem, I'm not sure, but is the separation that people have where Mm -hmm. they have their work self Mm -hmm. and they show up and they do what they need to do in a very sort of framed persona, um, but the rest of them is not necessarily present or embraced by the workplace that they're part of, or their team leader is behaving in the same way, so they don't show up fully emotionally connected as they should. So I think there's a a tremendous opportunity for us as coaches and leaders and people who just get this um, to be thinking about how do we actually help nurture people to show up as as their full selves. And that's part of coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm so excited about your um, coach certification that you're doing because now you're putting, you know, you're taking this wonderful idea and you're really helping it propagate through, you know, different workplaces, different organizations, and it can only grow from there. Yeah, so, totally. congratulations on that big step. That's an exciting Thank next you. Uh, next step for you. So, mm-hmm. so how have you found? Um, you know, obviously you you detailed your your background and your career development in very traditional roles. Um, you know, finance background, operations. You know, those things don't scream (laughs) touchy-feely, you know, be in touch with who you are and be okay to be vulnerable. Um, In fact, those, you know, finance and operations, it's the opposite, right? You Mm -hmm. must be in control, you need to have all the facts, you need to know what's going on at any given time. So, um, and I'm not saying that those are the only roles that are Mm -hmm. present in organizations, but... Um, a lot of our leaders do subscribe to those frameworks of, of needing to be, you know, in control, rigid, non-feeling, not expressing yourself. Um, so how have you navigated through, you know, the different roles that you've had? And you've obviously evolved to the place that you are today. I mean, you didn't start being as... Um, emotionally intact as a full human showing up at work you know when you first got your cpa designation no, absolutely not <laughs> right so but as you've grown in your career and maybe for our listeners who are perhaps facing the struggle themselves um how did you start to think about your leadership brand and and sort of needing to be that full person at work you know warts and all whatever mm-hmm. shows up shows up sort of approach and um you know not wanting to be different people at different times in in the workplace, or one person at home and one person at work, like how do you be that complete, consistent person? It's another amazing, life. amazing question. It's like,
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I could probably talk to you for like ten hours. Um, there's so much in there, right? If you think about when I, so I, when I've gone through, uh, there was a particular three-year period from like 2016 to like now. There was a real, there's been a, a ton of personal development and growth. Um, I mean, transformation, if you want to use the word. And so I had someone recently ask me, what is it? about that period that has been the biggest change. Like, what? how have you changed? And I think the best way to express it is, and this has been consistent through the whole thing, is like, I haven't changed. And so the me that's here has been in there the whole time. I think what happens is when you work in, you know, challenging cultures, toxic cultures, or even just really a lot of corporate environments, what happens, especially as you get to the more senior ranks, um, there's a there's a pattern of behavior that serves you well depending on a culture. And the less... You know, benevolent a culture is, and the more challenging, and then ultimately, if something's toxic, you start. What's effective is being things that you're not. So there's a way to be in certain meetings and certain things where there's kind of games you're playing and there's characters you're playing. that yeah. are very effective. Yeah. They're not necessarily who you are, but they work, and that's why you pull them out because you know, in this certain situation, if I'm you know aggressive or if I'm more passive, like the, it, there's an it, it's effective. And so I think the biggest difference to me now is like yeah, wherever I am, I'm the same person so that's the biggest thing so I dropped all those characters and I think that that, that I think takes a lot of vulnerability especially if you've had a long career where that's actually been really effective for you so I think I had the the benefit of a crisis to kind of like a personal crisis to kind of like help me figure out like what am I doing what's this about um, in the absence of that I think the biggest thing is to try you know there's, um, there's this there's this program that I'm, I'm certifying in next month but I've been using it for quite a while and it's called Leadership Circle and so with that model looks at is it looks at all of your traits as a leader and it measures your effectiveness through this diagnostic they have but the big thing is that it doesn't believe that anyone has there's no weaknesses so if you think about you know if someone's too passive and complying or someone's too aggressive um someone's too controlling a lot of times we look at that like you need to be less controlling you need to be less this you need to be more that and it's actually that's not the way it works because it's really hard for someone to just change themselves completely Mm -hmm. So I think what it is, is look for, look for cases in your life where, uh, it could be any part of your life, but it, you know this if, in the context of work, look for situations where you're like, well, that didn't go as well as I would have liked. And and particularly ones where you're like, I don't like the way I showed up there. So chances are, what this model would say, is that you're in kind of more of a reactive state. So something happened that caused you to react in a way that's other than the leader that you know you are. Because mm-hmm. usually when we're bothered by an interaction, it's like, oh, I could have done that way better, and I didn't. So the reactiveness, the anxiety of the situations will cause that. But what we do is we go one level deeper. And so if you look at something like anger. So to be angry, you have to first care about certain principles. You have to be principled. Right. You have to recognize when your principles have been violated. You have to be willing to act on it. And then you actually act on it. So none of those things individually sound like bad things. But you put them all together and it turns into anger. So what happens is the analogy I use in my coaching is if you... You know, if you have a nice wind, I'm not a sailor, but for some reason I use sailing analogies. I use sailing and climbing analogies, and I don't do either. But that's okay, (laughs) right? So wind in a sail, it makes sense to me, right? Maybe it's because I'm from Newfoundland. So, you know, wind in a sail and the boat goes in the right direction, everything's copacetic. Wind in the wrong direction, boat's going the wrong way. I know there's ways you can sort of go into the wind and stuff. I don't know how to do that. So to me, wind the wrong, wrong way. It's that's just bad. Keep it that's that's bad the sales. If you If you look at wind in its extreme form, you're into a hurricane, right? So you, what this is about, it's not about you need to change. It's about recognizing what are those virtues in your perceived weakness and then trying to figure out how to bring it forward. Now to do that, it's hard. So, so leadership development is very much like human development. So it, it, it's it, it's kind of the same thing. So the reason that the three-day program you took doesn't work is that you you got to get into the practice. This is where, you know, like I was talking about where the coach comes in and supports you like the yoga instructor. Yep. You get baby steps. You start making it your own and then, and then you can kind of progress. And that's one of the things that this, this leadership circle has found is that when they run the diagnostic, the people, and they run like this, like 600,000 plus times, when you come in at the highest levels what you, um, of leadership in their diagnostic, it's rare, if ever, that somebody gets there without some sort of spiritual practice. So there's something that you need that you rely on. So to me, when I look at yoga, and I have one of the programs in in Sporting lines called Yoga for Leaders. And so it's really about helping people try to understand what their perceived weaknesses are, then unpacking what are some of the virtues, and then just pick one of them and start working on it. So again, back to your, your question on what someone could do in the work environment, recognize those situations, try to catch as best you can what is it that you would like to have done different. Then try to think about you know, the thing you're criticizing yourself, I'm too, whatever, insert whatever your personal word is. Just try to think about if you were only able to talk about that in a positive way, what are the elements of it? So complying, if you're too compliant, then yeah, you have no backbone and people will just take advantage of you. But at its root, wanting people to be happy with your work and or wanting a team to be happy, trying to be there for others, being service to others, like that's not like doing things for other people instead of for yourself first. That doesn't sound like a bad thing to me. So it's try to figure out what is in there that is a strength and then try to figure out how you can bring that to like a system-wide scale, team-wide scale. How can you make that show up in a more proactive way instead of it just only being when you're, when you're reacting. And like I said, crisis is a wonderful thing. So if you are in a crisis, if you're in a challenging situation, um, we have to first kind of get through those and manage them. But those, those are wonderful teachers. And so for me, yeah, a really challenging period. And if I think back at multiple times where it was like, you know, really challenging periods, they're super formative mm-hmm. um, and you can get a lot out of them. And I, and I think they lead you on a path to what is, and this is where the spiritual practice comes in, but it's like, how can you get as clear as possible on what what are you really? And I think you get to a point where you kind of start to get naturally there. You're like, all right, what's all this about? But you start asking those kind of questions, you know, late 30s, forty, yeah. early 40s. It's a natural stage of life. But the key is once you once you're in touch with as close as you can probably understand what your core self is, then then your challenge gets how do I try to show up like that all the time? Because yeah, the more consistent you can be that way, the better. And yeah, I don't know. It doesn't sound like you figured out either. You know this kind of concept of like you know check your stuff at the door. Like I don't, I'm the same person everywhere. If I'm excited about something, that's coming to me at, at work. If I'm frustrated about something at work, I'm bringing that home. Right? It's like. And that's a normal thing. So we try to manage it. We try to make sure we're not, you know, having things spill over to different areas. But we are one person with one mind. And so the, the more you can be in touch with who you are and have that show up in every facet, um, the less then you have to be these other characters. And for me, that, I think the biggest thing it took for me was just being vulnerable to, like, showing up in a different way. But the response to that, when I was at Mobify in particular, was I had never experienced that. So the response that people had to the way I was showing up... Um, that was, for me, like, yeah, I'd never experienced anything like it before. So, yeah. And then that just that reinforces you to keep going. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And
1: I guess it really, it's it's about change management. And it's about, you know, embracing change. And you talked about having opportunity in crisis. Mm-hmm. And being honest about yourself, about what you need to change. Or maybe your environment needs to change. Maybe mm-hmm. you just need to move on. Maybe it's something else that's outside of your control. But it essentially all comes down to how you um, interpret and respond and embrace change Um, and I think that's one of the other interesting observations that I've had about your journey that you're taking is that you've been the sort of change agent within organizations and you've been driving change with um, you know very deliberate strategies with your teams and people that are reported to you but also other teams sort of Mm -hmm. around you within organizations and now you're switching to this Um, more instructional change agent role where you're helping other people teach others to be the change agents so maybe you can just share with us a few of your your observations around you know what's the difference between those two things and um, how do you see yourself moving away from being within an organization to actually helping others help their organizations in the
0: future yeah it's amazing right? so it's this this whole like coaching journey for me so I talked about how like I got here with the yoga stuff so to me the coaching goes right with that hand hand in hand so in January of 2017 just the way a whole bunch of things worked out um, I think eight or nine direct reports at the time and like wonderful people uh, they were all new enroll all new directors new VPs I was a new COO I'd never been a COO so none of us had ever been in our job before whole team and so I was talking to my coach at the time And she was talking about how uh, I was going to necessarily be doing a lot of coaching, mentoring, instructing, teaching, whatever. And she thought I I should get some more, you know, she's like, you have good raw skill, but it would be good for you to actually also, um, you know, get actual coaching pedigree. So her name is Jen gervais and she's part of this uh, institute. Uh, MCEC is the designation, but it's, it's basically master coaches. But the biggest difference was that she said... If you get a coaching designation, this organization will actually recognize the fact that you've got 20 years' experience. So you're not starting from zero, but you right. at the same time let's figure out how to channel that into proper, um, you know, let, let's get the proper coaching techniques. So I decided to actually do a full coaching program. So I did a coaching program at Royal Roads. It was amazing, great school, great program. It's a, uh, it's very applied. That was what I liked about it. So you have, you know, you get your classroom time, your webinars and stuff, but it's super applied. And so I immediately put it to work. So I went over to, you know, over to Victoria for a week. I come back and immediately, I changed, instantly changed the way I did one-on-one. So one of the biggest changes was I started doing tactical one-on-ones weekly or bi-weekly. And then I actually started doing executive coaching for my team, which I've been since told is impossible, but I know it's possible because we did it. So the biggest thing is you have to show up truly authentic. You're tr- you are truly trying to help these people uh, on your team as humans their whole life. It's not just about how do I get like two more units of production separately. We would have the units of production conversations about your pipeline, your projects that are happening, you know, what's going on, um, with your partners, whatever. So the big thing that shifted there was you realize very quickly as you start, like when you know how to do executive coaching properly, um, I thought I was coaching all the way through. I thought I was leading all the way through. I thought I had a high opinion of how I was as a coach and a leader. What I realized is that I was a manager. And so, you know, there's a quote that I, I've kind of morphed a couple of quotes into one that I like that I, I, I guess created, but it's like, you know, um, when you think about what a manager does versus a leader, so managers to me, they manage human doings. That's a John Kevin's in. That's what human doings versus human beings. So managers manage human doings. I think leaders inspire human beings. That to me is the best way to sum up like what, how I view leadership and some the, the test is like, is someone's entire life better because you worked at your company? Because if it isn't, you're not doing the full scope of leadership. So then you start getting into, I'm coaching my team. I started coaching other people. So I changed my office hours into coaching hours. And you very quickly realize as you, um, as you kind of get better at coaching, especially if you have a real true gift for it, that in one hour you can change the trajectory of someone's life. And that's, it's a powerful gift. becomes a big responsibility when you realize that you have that. And so for me, it was, it was like I you know, said earlier, having one company's engagement go up a lot it's great and the cool thing now is like you know as I'm exiting and I'm still doing some consulting work there and coaching work there how do I make sure that we maintain that course, and I think yeah. the program's is in place that's a test of the supporting lines model is can we maintain it without me because if we can't I have a wonderful practice but it needs me but I don't believe it needs me I think this is teachable and that's really the whole model but then when you look at again 85% of the world is disengaged in the work it's like I, I so if I can go out I believe that one leader like if you think about so take one leader, company of, say, 100 people or something, right? So one leader, they got a team of 10. The more senior they are, they'll impact that entire 100, 200, whatever the company size is. Then each of those people, they have friends. They have parents. They have siblings. They have, you know, kids. Like, they have other people to hang out with outside. So it's like, like you said off, off the top, it's like how we are at work, like how we feel at work, satisfaction, happiness, engagement, whatever measure it is. That's going to show up everywhere. So one leader easily impacts a 1,000 people. So my thing is if I can get to like a 1,000 leaders, which actually doesn't seem like that daunting a number, especially now that I have eight coaches and I'll certify some more coaches, like, yeah, we literally can get like a 1,000 people to impact another 1,000 people in a positive way. So I don't think it's a big stretch to say that millions of people can be impacted. Mm-hmm. And so that to me was really the, the call so that to go from when you're, when you're in a company with like 80 people or 100 people, especially as a C-suite executive, you have a degree of control around the environment and, and some of the variables. When you're have, when you a coach and you've got 5 or 10 clients or 20 clients, again, you've got some control over the work you're doing directly. So I've already got a robust practice in supporting lines. So now the next chapter is how do I get these other coaches empowered? How do I help them find some work? How do I help them weave this into their practice they already have so that now we're impacting everyone? And I feel like if you go from having that that'll take you from a practice to now we've got like a business an institute a framework you've got a movement and so that's really the big thing now because I, I do believe that you know what's beautiful about engagement is that a lot of people focus on engagement or they focus on performance and they think they're they're different things but they're not they're, it's a system so if i'm engaged in my job i'm going to perform better if i perform better we perform better and if we perform better i'm going to be more engaged which means i'm going to perform better and now you're back at the beginning Of course. so it's a system yeah And so I think the big thing is how do we get people to think about this more as a system? So that's really the work for me now is I don't feel like it's, you know, I don't necessarily feel like I'm bringing people a bunch of answers. I think I'm like a coach. I'm bringing them a bunch of questions and some tools. I think the vast majority of people come built to lead. Like everybody is a leader. It's just like what's your scope? It can be a big team and it can be not. But I think a lot of people equate leadership with like seniority and that's not necessarily the case because the people that got to be senior, an opportunity happened. They're prepared for it. But in many cases, and I think this comes right back to the other question you asked in the yeah. beginning, people got to those roles because they were good individual contributors, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that they're great leaders. And that's partly because no one's ever shown them. They know how to sell. They know how to write code. They know how to run operations, close the books. like They know the tasks of their work. And they're amazing individual contributors. And they can manage human doings. Because they can say, I did that, here's how you do it. But to go to the next step, which is leaders inspiring people Mm -hmm. to be themselves. Like an inclusive environment by definition means you can come in and just be yourself. That's actually just what it means. We can make it more complicated, but that's what it means. So what you're trying to do as the leader is be that yourself first. And then create the conditions for other people to do that. I think most people, the vast majority of people are capable of leading. I feel like the work I'm doing is peeling back stories about themselves, characters are playing, other things that are getting in the way. Um, I think the ability to lead is a human it's an innate human quality mm-hmm. but I think it's been so shrouded in other stuff that a lot of the work I feel like is peeling back layers Gosh. instead of teaching someone yeah. how to how to do it at it's core yeah. I don't know if that makes sense
1: yeah it does and I think one of the other things that I'm, I'm hearing through this is um, and that's inspiring about what you're doing is that you have acknowledged that you need help yourself so mm-hmm. you've gone to find a yoga teacher you've gone to find a coach yourself right and um, I applaud that, and I think that's that's an incredible expression of of being, you know, humble and wanting to also be the best version of yourself that you can be, right? Mm. And so, I guess what I would, the question I would have for you is, what advice do you have for other people who um, are maybe afraid to ask for help because they think it's an expression of weakness or a sign of weakness, or maybe they just don't know they've got huge blind spots. Um, right you know, how do you, how do you get people to actually take that next step to get help to be the better version of themselves? Like, right. like what are, Like, what do we need to see in workplaces, you know, both from the, the infrastructure that's there to support them, but as well as how do we help people individually sort of take control of their own destiny, if you will, or their own path? And maybe people don't have the means to go through a coaching program mm-hmm. or, or to pay for a coach or a counselor, so... You know, what should people be thinking about to, so to start the So, one of the things we're
0: working on now, and, and maybe by the time this is up, I'll have it on the site, but if not, yeah. um, so, Jeff at supportinglines.com, you can start there. Because the, one of the principles of Supporting Lines is that we're trying to start a movement. So, and accessibility is a big part of that. So there are, there are some things on how to set goals, how to look at, you know, your tenure vision and bring it back to, like, what you can do, what how, how you can find meaning and growth in your current role that connects to your tenure vision what you want to do. And most people, when you think about a tenure vision, like, they can't even answer that question. Like, I've never even thought about that. Yeah. So step one would be holding yourself capable of being a great leader. Step two would be everyone's context is different. So, yeah, anybody off the podcast wants to email me, like, go for it. Jeff at SportingLines.com. Send me a note and I can, I can look at someone's specific case. Um we've got some stuff that's free. I think we've got other stuff that is like very approachable cost wise. But the other thing too, that we do, and I encourage this for both, you know, people in companies at staff level, manager level, but also at the senior levels is when you think about leadership development, think of it as everyone's a leader. So one of the best ways to have, to to kind of enable people to ask for what they need, but they're not sure is when you do training on how to do one-on-ones, don't just train your senior people, train everybody. Mm -hmm. Because then what you do is when a manager is stressed, And they're, you know, leaders trying to do a one-on-one with the staff member. And for some reason, something else, they're they're spiraling on something else. So they don't, they're not doing the one-on-one properly. The employee can go, you know what, time out. If you need to talk about something, I'm here for you. But um, this isn't a one-on-one right now. You're frustrated. Like, so people know what good looks like. And you can do that for, like, when we do performance conversations, we train uh, both the manager and the employee on it at the same time. And then they both run through, we run through pilots using pairs of managers and employees. Because... You want employees to understand what they should be getting, but then there's something else that happens. When you're two, three, four, five years down the road and that person starts running a team themselves, well, first of all, by understanding how this stuff works, they'll be more likely to run a team. Of course. And then also when they get there, someone has finally, before they needed it, taught them how to do some of these leader things. So I think of support lines, in some ways, it's like, it's, it's almost like a, a, you know, this kind of leadership toolkit that you can use. So as you go through your journey, you'll be able to pull out what you need in that moment, whether you're a staff person trying to figure out how should I be getting this, What should a performance review look like? How should we set goals? How should I be able to see my connection to what the organization is trying to do? Um, Or you're the leader trying to figure out how do I deploy this stuff in an organization? I think it's really important to look at everyone's human first. So you're trying to make sure the human experience in every company is better for everyone first. And if that sounds Pollyanna, then uh, you can look at it as that's gonna increase performance and it's gonna increase engagement so you don't have to do that even if you're not going to do it for other people and you think that some of this other stuff is like you know yoga philosophy nonsense (laughs) do it because you want results do it because you want people to be engaged but something magic will happen as you go through this and you start to see the response of what it feels like to do a better performance review that's truly in service of an employee what it means to set goals that it's more inclusive and you're getting people from all corners of the organization organization involved so that you know the vast majority of them see their work connected to the bigger goals Everyone wants that, that I've talked to, but it's really hard to do. But yeah. when you get it right, it it you it does create some vulnerability. Something melts inside of you as a leader where you're like, huh, there's something bigger going on here. Yeah. People are kind of inspired. So, you know, at its root, I think the, the big thing is start with holding you and your organization capable of better than you're doing today. Uh, hold yourself capable of greatness. And we have this thing called a vision conversation, but that's, that's what we start with. Like, where do you want to be in 10 years? And don't don't say... I want to be the deputy assistant, whatever, manager. Like, that's fine, and that's a great role, and go get that. But in 10 years, like, what do you really want to do? What's going to get you fired up, get you passionate? And then try to get people to connect to that. And for some people, it might be the first time they did it. And then you start working back. And for your organization, do the same thing. Like, hold your organization capable of more. And if, yeah, if you're truly not getting any movement on this, and um, you've, you feel you've tried everything, then it might be time to have a, you know, have a look at, at another organization. But I, I like... First, trying to see if you can influence change in the organization you're in. Mm -hmm. Unless it's completely toxic and so far gone, it's you probably are with other people that are like-minded. And this is not about like create a big like, you know, rise up within the company kind of thing. It's just I've never met a leader. I don't know, maybe you have, I've never met a leader that whose goal is to be a terrible leader. I've met lots of people that don't know how to do it and want to be a better leader. I have met people that are like, I know I'm a bad leader, and I don't care. I've met that person too.
1: How about the ones you think they're good leaders, but they're not?
0: Well, that they, they, they need they need some help from <laughs> the team, right? That's where 360s and other things come in. Yeah, but that's yeah, a terrifying it's place reality, to be. right Because I think they do know. I think that I think oftentimes they do know because they see it in people's faces. Deep inside, yeah, for sure. They know, but they don't have a clue what they're supposed to do with it, and they might not know. Okay, so I'm a bad leader. The team's not with me, but I don't know what I'm doing. And so I, I had moments like that where, when I was first, you know, leading teams, where I was like. Okay, I don't think this. We're not connecting here on all fronts, and so one of the best things to do is you get a 360, right? So if you get a 360, um, and the ones we do with, with supporting lines, I, I, what I like about it is that the ones we do, it's a, it's a 360 that's tied to the leadership principles of the company. So is is the leader exuding the principles that we have on the wall? And the individual performance conversations are the same way. So what you're trying to do is look at it's not just what we're doing in our craft in our job, but it's also how do we show up. Yes. So we have got to do both. And if yeah. we do both you're going to, a bunch of these things on engagement and performance, they're just going to melt away. They're going to start taking care of themselves because humans are showing up in a way that is going to be, you know, creating the culture they are looking to create.
1: Yeah. I love that. That ties back into that sort of that real whole person view Mm -hmm. that we talked about in the very beginning. Um, But interestingly, what I'm hearing coming out of um, what you just said was, um, so we had a a webinar with Jamie Nodder. I don't know if you know Jamie. He's a, a culture expert, um, and he um, focuses on employee engagement, trying Mm. to understand really, you know, how are we going to solve this equation? And he just published a new book, and so he was talking with us this morning about how, what he encourages companies to do, because he consults to different um, organizations, is stop chasing happiness. Like, Mm. it's, it's not about, employee engagement doesn't mean happiness, it actually means level of success that individuals are feeling, And then that then escalates into the level of success that teams are feeling. And then that's, the engagement is an outcome of that. That, That's sort of the performance piece. When you're, like you were talking about, you know, when you're a leader and you're with your team and you know you're performing well and you're hitting it out of the park, like there's an amazing feeling Mm -hmm. that we get from being in that sort of environment. So Mm -hmm. that's a success factor. So how do we actually build environments where people are achieving what they set out to do Mm -hmm. and then the engagement piece just comes from that. It, it is there and they will be there fully as, you know, that, that full person because they're so excited and passionate about what they're achieving together. So, you know, I think what he was saying this morning was it's actually simpler than we think it is yeah. and, you know, we throw a lot of money and time at this engagement thing um, that is, you know, pervasive and that's, it is a real problem um, but we were, we we're looking at the wrong thing and have been all along mm-hmm. um, and, I mean, as you know, you know the data, like the needle hasn't moved at all on engagement in, you know, 15 years um, and it's not going to get any better. So yeah,
0: if, I think it, it comes back to like, why are you doing it, right? So for me, the reason I like engagement, so yeah, performance is great. I like performance, but I also think that people spend more time at work than they do anywhere else. So it actually benefits all of us if they are having a good experience. And so what does that look like? Well, I, again, it comes back to three things. For me, there's a lot of research that shows that you do need to be, you know, absorbed in your job, right? So the Utrecht Work Engagement Scale talks about, um, you know, do you get lost in your work? Do you have inner Does your work give your energy? Like it kind of gets into some of those things. So like the work itself matters, but I think that's table stakes. So I at least yeah. have to like my job, but if I like my job in a terrible environment, that's not going to be enough. So I, I like the term supportive environment. So the, the conditions, I agree with everything you're saying about, um, you know, this, this sort of definition of people being successful. So what does it look like? Well, it's created, the, the the conditions for success, I call it a supportive environment. So the first one is, are leaders supporting their teams? That's the first type of supporting line. And it goes back to the whole premise of servant leadership, that um, you know people should be growing in their whole life, right? So are people, are they freer, are they wiser, are they more autonomous, Like are they healthier? And it's whole life stuff, it's not just work. So that's one test. So if a leader's truly focused on supporting their team, that's supporting line number one, job done. You're gonna have people grow and roll, that's gonna be a big element of engagement. And the Gallup data that shows that 85% of people are disengaged—that's a lot of what they talk about mm-hmm. when they when they talk about their stuff. It's really about the person growing and having opportunities to pursue things they want. The other one, then, for me, is performance. So we could do all of the stuff to make people grow. Make people could love their jobs, and if the company doesn't perform, good luck with engagement. So if you you know if sales are up, then people are going to be more engaged. It could be going from like super toxic to less toxic, but they will be more engaged. Um, and it's the same thing. You have all the best engagement programs in the world, and if the company's struggling, then engagement's going to drop. So performance of the team, of you personally, and also of the organization, huge impact on engagement. And if you look at a lot of the data, there's not as much of a causation link from people are more engaged, therefore they perform. But there is a causation link from people are performing, therefore they're more engaged. And then I think you're into that system. I think one, then once the system starts, they'll start reinforcing each other. I don't think it's super complicated, but what I—I I don't think the complexity is in the individual things we have to do. What what I think the complexity is that there's a whole bunch of individual tactics and skills and techniques that leaders need to use to do this right. And so what we've done is we've kind of managed that complexity for people. So yeah, there's dozens of things that you can do um, to engage or disengage people. And so what we've tried to do is let's let's actually map them all out. Let's have so our diagnostic. We'll actually go through and look at. Um, where are the strengths and challenges in your organization as it pertains to engagement performance? And then unlike other engagement surveys where you kind of get the data and you're like, oh, look, we've got a problem here. Now what do we do? We, for everything in there, we've got the tool and the technique that you'd use. So, okay, you got this issue. Okay, great. So if there's a problem with um, I'm not getting good feedback on, on the job, then there's feedback mechanisms. There's performance reviews. There's a whole bunch of things. 360s. But you just bring in the techniques that you need. It's almost like a pharmacy and you get all the medicine. But well, you don't go in and take all the medicine. Right. But if you have specific things, a trained professional, the pharmacist can tell you or the doctor can tell you, okay, these are the ones that you probably need to take. And then you try them, you know, come back 10 days later, see how we did, and you <laughs> take another one. But you don't go in and take the whole pharmacy all at once. And I think that sometimes that's what happens. People come in, say, like, okay, we have this We have this program, you have to do it our way, and you got to do it all all at once. Or it's the one where someone comes in and they're like, Hey, we got the three—you know—the the one day two-day, three-day offsite, and now you're all leaders, and you're going to go back and be leaders. Well, that's that doesn't make any sense yeah. because you're talking about changing the fabric of how someone shows up in a workplace. That doesn't happen in three days. That happens where they go out, they try it, they get a little bit of feedback, and then they try it again, and they learn, and they learn, and then eventually they master the skill, and then you can move on to the next one. So to me, you know, engaging people is simple, but it's a bunch of simples. So the complexity is actually that there's a whole bunch of individual tactics that we need to bring to bear. And so that's really what we try to do is like, how do you meter that stuff in? So I'm big on operationalizing this. Um, I think there's no shortage of like theory and concepts, and, and frankly, it's almost overwhelming for managers because there's like seven million books on this. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is like let's actually bring in the mechanics and the framework so that people can go in and they can they can figure out how to do it. So whether, you know, whether they need everything or they just need a little bit. And so because there's two, there's two different ways to start. One is you start on the leaders supporting their teams, and then the other one is that teams support each other. And that's really where you're getting to goal setting, how do you get the team aligned? Um, and you know a lot of companies when they set goals that are going to get people aligned, and get, again given that performance is such a big part of engagement, um, often people set goals and they stop. And so the second part of supporting lines is really around the supporting lines between teams. So, I'll give you an example that'll kind of bring it home. Think of a time that you had a goal, um, like a big goal, a cross-functional goal that you owned, and somebody let you down. Somebody had something they were supposed to do, and they didn't do it. So, if we were able to get a time machine and go back to a time before they let you down, would you? what, what conversation would you like to have with them? And you can actually answer that. Mm-hmm. So, what conversation would you like to have with them before they let you down?
1: Um discuss outcomes and what that would look like, what would success look like for all parties.
0: Right. And so a lot of times that's a very common thing. So people go back and they would like to have some some variation of that conversation to level set, make sure we're super clear on what we needed to do, make sure that someone understands. And that's what a supporting line is. So once you have a goal, the person owns the goal, they go back and they figure out who in this organization supports me. And then if those supporting lines are visible, understood, and agreed, not only is the person more likely to hit their goal, but the people in the organization are also a lot more likely to understand how their work connects with uh, the overall mission and vision of the company what they're trying to accomplish.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Um, we are about to get kicked out of our meeting room right. here, okay. so I guess we have to wrap it up. Okay. But um, thank you. That was a great conversation, and um, I hope this is the first of many conversations. Absolutely. Um, just really impressed and um you know empowered by some of the things you've shared today and uh just wish you luck and thank you bring it on bring on the the coaches and i appreciate that bring on improved people and experiences in workplaces awesome thanks for having me thank you, jeff. i hope you enjoyed the conversation with jeff as much as i did It's not every day that one gets to sit down with such an accomplished individual who not only has an amazing career track record, but who also is a certified coach and yoga instructor. I was lucky enough to attend one of Jeff's yoga classes recently, and uh, I came away feeling rejuvenated and much more engaged in my day. And I can certainly see how a practice like that can help you have clarity around your purpose and improve the relationship that you have with those around you and the teams that you work in. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love it if you would leave us a review and let us know what you thought. And you can always subscribe to the podcast in the usual way that you get your podcasts. If you'd like to reach Jeff, he can be found by email at jeff, J-E-F-F, at supportinglines.com or you can find him on LinkedIn or you can email me at bev at jostle.me and let me know what you thought and send along any other ideas for topics to cover or guests to interview. Thanks again for listening and I hope to see you on the next one.